Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, November 5th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 200. 200! I'm your host, Austin Walker, and joining me today, that was the, the voices of Danielle Riendo. Hi, hello. Natalie Watson. Hello, hi. And not the voice, but the presence of Rob Zachney. Two bills. That's, <laughs> That's what us. We got. That's what we got. Two bills. We're trying to pass them. And to do that, we need to change the way Congress is built. And that's why Patrick Klepek isn't joining us today. He's off canvassing. Uh, in, he's flipping in the, districts. Yeah, he's flipping he those districts himself. You know what I mean? He's out there. He's trying to. He's just trying to make things a little more even, a little more centered. You know, so, you could say he's extremely woke. Mm-hmm, the woke mm-hmm. gamer, in fact. The woke gamer himself is out there. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think like two weeks ago, Danielle, you were like Austin, coming up on that two hundredth episode. You got to do something special for her. What do you want to do? And I was like, ask me again next week. And then next week, you were like, what do you want to do for the two hundredth episode? And I was like, damn, that's a good question. <laughs> And then we got a bunch of Bethesda boxes, and uh, the elections created a lot of anxiety, and there's drama, and we just haven't gotten around to figuring out what our 200th episode special should be. And so what I thought we would do is just, let's just do a good episode. Let's just do like a good okay. one where we dig yeah. into some stuff and like talk about some video games, or maybe answer a couple questions. Does that sound good for everybody? The quintessential episode. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. have to be an outlier. Instead of making one of those episodes where it's like... This isn't like a normal episode because we have a thousand guests and we have special segments and music and whatever live, li- you know, a live band performance. Like, you could do that. We thought, oh, about hey, listener, that. we didn't plan for this. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Enjoy a regular episode of Waypoint Radio. I opened this document that Rob updated and it said 200, and I went, oh right, cool, 200. Um, it's also all thrown off because like that number doesn't reflect E3 podcast. It doesn't reflect Game of the Year podcast. Bonus pods. It doesn't waypoints is all mixed in there now. So we've been over two hundred. We don't been over two hundred. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we got bands. You know, um, we got bands. You know, there there is I think uh, a value in accuracy and specificity. Uh, and to talk more about that and our our game of subterfuge for the final subterfuge update of all time, wow. probably Sub- subdate. You know, subdate. I feel subdate is a different thing. Subdate is a different service. I think than what we can provide, <laughs> what we okay. officially provide here. Um, Rob, you and I. Uh, how do we want to set this up? Okay, Rob, you and I. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, during mm-hmm. the stream, during our 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 uh, save point stream to yes. raise money for the Florence Immigrant and Refugee Rights Project. Great, a great group. Uh, added a donation incentive. And that was if we hit a certain number, a number way too low in retrospect. <laughs> two bills. Two was bills. Was it two bills? For me. It was two initially. Gs. Yeah. Oh, God. 
Um, it was two G's, not two bills. That was for Austin. That was for me. Uh, Austin charges the okay. higher rate. <coughs> I do. Mm. Uh, and, got you know, got you. I think Austin, Rob- Austin ain't going to prep your 200th episode, but he uh, will I will play a, game, a pretty big buy-in. A pretty big buy-in. Exactly. Um, we decided we'd play this game called Subterfuge, which if you don't know what it is, maybe go back and listen to the past couple of episodes. Or we've dug into it a little bit on the Monday show. Strategy game, real time. It takes place over the course of weeks, not over the course of, of hours or even days. Um, and I guess it's not sure. I guess it's like a week and a half, right? So that's days. Yeah. Uh, and we had played, I guess as of last Monday, we had played about a, five days of the game, six days of the game. We like were, were getting days, to, yeah. we were in the mid game. We we're entering the mid game. Um, and in the time since then, what I wish I could say is I like, can, here's the final tournament report and look forward to our diary series on the site like we wanted to do. Instead, I think a thing that happens probably in, in some number of subterfuge games, but uh, in a spectacular way for ours, uh, that game imploded uh, in such a way that <laughs> I think I'm only able to talk about it in the way I am now because we have the remove of like days. We have like five days between us and when it all fell apart. I've gotten rough. really into moisturizers and skincare. Uh, that sounds great. That's my that's myself. Um, um, I like. I was like yeah, Dale you... Cooper's got it all figured out. Yeah, he He's does. Like, what are you, you using? Oh, I'm. Look, I need some new. I need some new no, stuff. I'm, I'm in a my newbie regimen. at this, right? Like, so it's just okay, some what do you Lositan got? shit. Okay. Okay. Lositan is this? You know, we should that newbie okay. shit. Look at you. Um, look at you, all French. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I was like, look. I need. I need a new thing. Subterfuge is not my thing anymore. That's when you wake up instead of checking where your submarines are headed. You moisturize your skin and you just feel refreshed. You have a morning routine. I feel better. I feel like I've treated myself. Good. Good. I'm glad. That's so much better. One treat. So I think there's two ways we can have this conversation. One is we don't. One is we go like, and that game imploded, and we'll never talk about it. But I think that might be doing disservice to those who maybe want to play Subterfuge or any competitive multiplayer. It was illuminating. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to set up the arc of this experience? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with this. The thing I will say is... Um, this Not naming was group, names. Yeah. This is a group we played with a, a fair bit before, <coughs> and uh, there were some, like... Self-referential elements to the games that tend to unfold with this group, and there were some inside jokes. And uh, we were also playing an anonymous game, which was also theoretically going to maybe make it a little less uh, a continuation of previous games uh, with this group. In other words, you would you would escape from like the meta in some sense. You would escape from everyone ganging up on one player because you know that player is really good, or, right? Or underestimating another player because that player hasn't won, or whatever. Right, and the anonymity thing started to breach pretty quickly. Uh, it wasn't hard to start putting together who people were. Um, but there were also <coughs> elements of the game that never quite felt right. Like, there were just weird things happening in the game throughout that were increasingly, like, noteworthy. Like, there were parts of the games and interactions that felt completely, like, on the level. Like, people are playing the game. Then there were some that just felt like there was some missing piece of, there was some missing piece of information. There was something that was not right about this game. Which is uh, funny, because if you go back to the last week's episode, you and I talk about the like spectrum of engagement with a, with a hardcore yeah. strategy game like this, and we both wanted to make sure we elbowed out room for people who were maybe like less um, uh, aggressive in their play styles, or people who found themselves pursuing smaller goals instead of the biggest goal to win. Um, and I think I still want to elbow out room for that stuff. Yeah. But like, the thing that it shocks me is how much your instinct was on the, on the fucking nose. <laughs> that something was off. 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, it was increasingly like unsettling to me. Uh, there were parts mm. of it that were off there. The other like other players uh, were also starting to look a bit askance at the game. And then I think it was Tuesday or so or Wednesday. Uh, basically, it emerged that when the game was set up and we were told everyone who's going to be in the game, uh, one person was not who they said they were. And that there was an elaborate inside joke prank being set up for Halloween. It was Wednesday. It was a Halloween. Was on yeah. <clears throat> and, and that was a player. So, so the long and short of it is like at the top of the game, before we started, I asked for a roster list. I said, who are we playing with? Partially because like, I'm curious who, who am I? I'm finally going to get to play with this group that I've heard so much about via Twitter, via Rob. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I haven't played this game in three or four years, maybe more than that. Like since it first, first came out, I think it may have even been in beta when I first played it. Um, and I wanted to know who I was playing with partially just for that reason, but also partially because I knew we were making content. Um, and there are people in the world who I don't want to make content with or about. Um, and so like to some degree that was an important clarification. Um, and we were like deceived at the top. They're like, Oh, this player who's actually a veteran, uh, we would learn was in fact being referred to as like someone's friend. Someone's friend. A really shy newbie. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Just really awkward. And, and it wasn't like even there. There's there's a version of that that I think works. Like there's a version of that reveal that would have been funny if somebody had said, "Hey, there's a secret mystery player in right. the group." Like people can opt in or opt out of that. But totally. like, come because one... you know that there is a mystery. Exactly. Like, like to not say that there is something being hidden or that there is something to be revealed is just like going under this under like a false pretense which exactly. is just shitty and feel and nobody wants to feel duped well, also like, just wants... if you want that like it comes down to exactly what you just said which is like give people the chance to opt in or opt out give them the information yeah. don't dupe them Consent. and so you yeah absolutely right like this is there are the magic circle which is a a, a, a term that is used in, in certain sectors of game studies and, and games academia um to talk about the kind of separation between the game and the real world is porous mm-hmm. there is no such thing as like a the magic circle is on a wall right like people yeah. look at the nfl um look at look at any professional sport in which someone makes money um look at the ways in which uh, games can affect culture like things get in and out of the magic circle but the one way in which i think it's super important to, un- to to recognize the magic circle is that when you step into it especially when you step into it with other players you do so in a partnership and and in an agreement about certain things um, and those those things it is about consent danielle it's exactly what you said which is like if you tell me okay because this game is about backstabbing and bullshit i refuse to give you a roster for this game then it's on me to be like okay, all right, I'll take that risk. I, I generally trust the, the, the limits of this game and, and the possibility space and, and you know you as the one person I know who's giving me the, who's organizing this to organize something safely for me or whatever, right? Versus uh, a situation or, or even say like, yeah, but there's one player who's a mystery. Like, like you said, like that's totally a viable thing. And then it's up to me as the player to be like, yes, that's, I'm good with that. Or no, I'll bounce, you know, sorry, you know what? I'll play it in a different game at some point. Um, but to like sit on that information ends up being really, really off-putting, and and it also it does also completely shift the balance of power in that game when th- when when two when per- one person's identity is hidden and two people know who that person's identity is and what their play history is and all that other stuff. Yeah, I would I would highly recommend uh, reading Bernard de Coven's The Well Played Game. Yeah, if like to get a sense of 
what uh, what game agreement should look like and what it means to have a balanced game, even when perhaps like uh, skill is unbalanced or things like that. There are ways to mitigate these types of things that are heavily based on consent and knowledge and 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 knowing what you're up against um, rather than being obscure about those sorts of things. Yeah. I think another reason that like this, this was bad enough just because it did create such an imbalance in the game and produce some weird outcomes. I think there's another thing that occurred to me and it was starting to occur to me even before this reveal happened, which is that subterfuge is a game where uh, probably I think to your point, Natalie, that game probably needs a little more preparation and agreement beforehand about boundaries than it yeah. ever. Like, there's nothing built into the game that before the game starts, players are like, "Okay, here's what I'm comfortable doing. Here's what I'm not." Yeah, the game isn't requiring like giving you that prompt, right? And so, to what degree, like, how far do you want to push things with the lying, with the personal pressure, things right. like that? I was okay pushing it pretty far for this game. <coughs> Anonymous, like, hey, we all stepped in here. Um, but even there were a couple points in the game where I was like, this is getting a little too weird and intense. And, mm. like, I'm not comfortable. I want to keep pushing in this direction because I don't know if, like, I'm okay with it. And, like, there is um, there's there, there's fun that can be had. There is yeah. There's enjoyment and release that can happen from pushing into, like... Uh, darker territory, right? And exploring that space a little bit consensually with somebody else. But if you don't know for sure, like if basically grabbing someone by the collar and be like, look, motherfucker, you better level with me. I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> you need like, you need, it's, it's better to do that when you know for sure that they will also know it's a game. That right. this isn't like, this isn't like Rob Zachney, me, the person, saying, like, I will end you and everyone you care about. This is me, the player, the person who's right. way too into subterfuge. There's no agreement like that in subterfuge. You're not playing a character. You're not Beauregard Jackson III underwater <laughs> oil tycoon, right? Right. Though I wish you could be, right? Like, there's a version – so, so in, in I do a lot of tabletop role-playing, as you know, uh, and there are some tools that have become kind of widely available uh, in terms of uh, – when I say tools, I don't mean – like hammers, and I also don't mean code. I mean kind of um, play, like tools of play. You know, kind of a, a, a toolbox of ideas to refer to. Um, and the the three that kind of come to mind are the X card, which is a thing that that I use at all the games I play, and I think most gaming conventions use these now. Uh, an X card is just like straight up a thing that someone can say, like, "Hey, I'm pulling up the X card." This the way this sequence is going is not cool for me. Let's back up and go somewhere else. Let's change the, the, the focus. Let's dial things back. There's also a concept of lines and veils that you can set up very clearly ahead of time where you can say, like, um, I'm going to set up a line that says I don't want there to be any slavery in this game. Like, I've been deep in slavery research in my PhD lately, and I just, like, really want to not think about slavery right now. Or I really, really don't want to think about uh, or, or, or frame scenes. I always, always, always want to avoid the topic of sexual assault. I don't want it in this game. And that contrasts with something like a veil or even just sex. Like, I, I don't want to – I don't know you all that well. Let's not get horny in this game. Let's draw a line, no horniness. But there's also a thing that you can do called a veil where you set up ahead of time. You go, okay, I want there to be veils around around 
horniness. I want their like this game can have sex, but the pan the, the veil should be drawn. The camera should pan away, and we should fade to black like a PG thirteen <laughs> movie. Um, and setting up those yeah. rules ahead of time for all sorts of play is so helpful in the RPG community. Um, and there's nothing like that in the video game community, right? Because mostly those those systems are built directly into a game, you know, into something like, oh, you can ban someone or, or uh, report them for being shitty. Um, but that, in a game like Subterfuge, where it does bleed into this roleplay thing, right, where, where you are negotiating and you are pressuring people and you are threatening, maybe not I'll beat the shit out of you threatening, but like, you know, the early half of the game was was colored partially by one of the players being incredibly terse and even threatening to to other players in a way that I'm sure was role play, but was not always clear, I think, to other players that that was the case. Um, and it just it really brought a lot of that into relief for me um, in terms of how we fail to prepare. You know, I, I think I, I wrote a piece last year building off of a, a, a thing that I, I heard Michael Thompson say um, uh, at an event that games more often need kind of um, play, spaces of, of egress, spaces of, of kind of decompression, um, sort of like, you know, lobbies where you wait before you leave a game, right? You kind of like, okay, I'm done with this experience. Here's my 20 or 30 minute thing for the night where I get to like decompress from shooting people in the head in Call of Duty all night. Um, <laughs> that just like doesn't exist, right? Like that is like, it's a hard shut off. You shoot people in the head in Call of Duty for three hours, and then you're done. Um, or you you have a high intensity horror experience with a game and then it's over. Sometimes great game is built in denouement, but like the, they often don't. Um, I would also love this intro. I would also love to say like it would be cool to incline into especially intense multiplayer experiences more. Not everything, you know. Obviously, high level of competition where people are just like trained to be, to be in that mode, like go for it. But I would love to see games like Subterfuge have a space for like all right. You know, not only does the game not start for another four hours, but in this four hours, here are some tools to talk through some some boundaries uh, before you begin. Rob, you had your your hand. Yeah, just you know, I was talking to the uh, best subterfuge player I know, a uh, friend of the show, Joel, who doesn't play subterfuge. Um, I didn't know I was, that. I didn't know that that he was great at subterfuge. Or oh, he, you're saying he's he the best because he doesn't play it. He understands it very well. He does I not see. play it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he's played games The only before, way to win is not def- to play. Definitely yeah. he's figured out what's there and what's for him and what isn't. But um, yeah. I was sort of racing with him some concerns I'd had about gaslighting the ever-living shit out of a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of cracked a joke, but it wasn't fully a joke. He was like, there'll be time... Uh, for the appropriate aftercare after the game, as all hard play requires. Right. And it was a joke, but it also sort of did reframe this as, like, oh, yeah. oh fuck, that's Dude. kind of what this game is. And that's why this is getting so icky, is because there are no procedures, rules, uh, forms being obeyed with regard to consent, uh, collaboration. It's just, well, we're all here now. What does subterfuge mean to me? <laughs> and the problem is that it meant different things to like 10 different people involved right. in that game. And like one of those things was clearly like a bad form, like basing the game out of game on a deception. That's extremely bad form. Also, I just really quickly, this is seven days. Like I I had 24 hours in this app by the time we were done. Like it it can feel silly to say it because when we talk about games, normally we're talking about short hour things, but like for a week, we looked at our phones, Rob, 
twenty four plus. The hours. night before, I had courtside seats to the fucking Celtics, and oh, MK, did you not go? No, I went, but MK okay. keeps being like, "Why are you watching it? Like, did you see that?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I saw it. I saw the end of it." Oh, and wow. no, this is what I'm talking about, though. Yeah, 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 totally. And the next morning, it's like, "Well, lol, jokes on you," and like. <laughs> No, oh, that's that's not funny, man. That's <laughs> no. like there was like real like I could have been living my life. Yeah. I have a I have a quick yeah. question. Is the reveal done within the game? Like at the end are the uh like uh colors replaced by people's names and then you find no, out? No, this was or done over it... public chat in the game, basically. Like oh, the reveal okay. was so something popping out said... of the metaphorical cake and yeah. being like but, here I am. But I just mean in in general, in like subterfuge like, is it customary that on the last day people like say who they are, like what color? I never they played were an anonymous game. Like, pre- like every other game, people know who each other are. You know your handles, so you're probably playing with people who they're your normal multiplayer oh. group. So, like, you know, if I'm so, it's not always a color. That's the thing is like this game was supposed to be anonymous, and it was a, that's the like the whole thing it was like unlike the rest of this group's past history of games. This one instance was supposed okay. to be anonymous to protect it was a lot of that stuff. All about that past history. Right, right, right. Which is just like yeah. Ugh, uh. And the other thing there too that you that you hit on here, Rob, with this comparison is, I mean, I I, I think and, and you know Joel McCoy who who came by for our save point stream, I think may have even been there when we agreed to some of this. Um, <laughs> was uh, gets at is that like in the S and M community there are defined roles. Uh, there are, there's lots of, you know, when, when done safely, there's lots of conversation. There's lots of negotiation around what is safe and what is exciting and what people want, what, what desires are at work um, and, and how to safely explore those desires while also maintaining safety valves. Um, Subterfuge falls apart in a few ways there. It, I, I don't want to put this on the game because I don't want to like, I'm not, I don't want to wash the hands of the players who fucked up here. Um, but I... It's a game where your role is just to win from the jump. And there's no negotiation. No one is like, and I'm going to be like a mid-tier player if that's cool with everybody. Like that, those sorts of the, the varying, or like I'm going to yell at everybody. I'm going to be really aggressive and mean to people. None of that is, is arrived at, and none of those spaces are arrived at. And, and again, there's no tools for de-escalation in that interpersonal way, even though so much of the game is about de-escalating militarily or in terms of territory or stuff like that. I'm sorry, Rob, I did cut you off because I was so overwhelmed by the amount of time we put into this yeah, about, no. about a minute a minute ago. No, I mean, I think this this whole experience did highlight a couple things. One is that, yes, uh, some people involved in this did fuck up badly. Um, but I also think, like, having looked at Subterfuge now, Subterfuge is a game that needs some sort of safeties. Like, it needs guardrails set on the experience, and the only, like, and it relies entirely on the players to set up those guardrails, but it doesn't tell you you need them. Like, Subterfuge, there's this video you were showing last week, the uh, original trailer for Subterfuge, which is, mm, uh, It's so good. It's so of its its time. Adam Sessler stars in it. I want to say, I want to say, like, Greg Rice is in it. Uh, Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's Adam Sessler, Sessler mansplaining subterfuge uh, to a woman he's in a game with. And, like, the whole reveal is, ha-ha, but she has duped him and he she gets is destroyed the at the end. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's it's really cute. It's really fun. And I think the ideal is, like, the way they depict it is people are, like, into subterfuge, but they're not that into subterfuge. It's all in good fun. Yeah. That is hard to maintain. Like, people are going to react different ways. It is 24-7. Like, if yeah. somebody's going to get really intense about this, the game's going to let them. The game is going to be like, hey, do you just want to watch your phone, like, every five minutes for the next week and a half of your life? It lets you do that. Yeah. Um, and there's no part of the game where it's like, look, this is a game about psychological pressure. It's a game about deception and lying. You're playing, and it's about, like, to a degree, deceiving and lying to people you, you probably have personal relationships with. How comfortable are you with that? What boundaries do you want to set on that? And I think one of the things that really came home for me in this experience is uh, it is, that is an extremely dangerous game to put out there. And not like the game is fine, but it, I think it's a, it's a game that could probably do a better job of surfacing the potential pitfalls of what happens when people like decide they're really all in on subterfuge. All dungeons when, should have rules posted. A hundred percent, totally. A hundred and subterfuge is one. Like there are all sorts of play. Uh, and I think also like the other thing here is is just like speaking more generally to the way we as players dig into stuff. Um, you know, I think that if you've designed a game before, one of the things you have to learn is that if you give players an opportunity to do something that will benefit them, no matter how, you know, mind-numbing it is, no matter how boring it is, some set of your players will do that thing to get an advantage, especially in competitive multiplayer games, which is what happens in Subterfuge. Like, the vision that they sell of this game, and the vision I wished it was, is the one where, like, oh yeah, I'm going to check in on it three or four times today. You know, maybe instead of opening Twitter 80 times, I'm going to open Twitter 40 times, and, well, okay, that is kind of what happened, actually. Instead of opening Twitter in my perfect life eight times, I'll only open it four times, and the other four times I'll open Subterfuge. I'll check in maybe once every four hours. You know, I'll check in with every meal. I'll check in with Subterfuge, and I'll send some orders out. Um, but that doesn't leave you in a position of power in that game because you're going to be playing with someone who's like, no, I'm going to check it every 20 minutes. And that person, or I'm going to be on for 30 minutes in a row every hour, like half of my hour every hour that I'm awake and I will stay up later and maybe even wake up in the middle of the night to get an advantage. And that, that tactic is, is rewarded, right? Like the people, like not for nothing, but you, me, Rob, and another player who were on the most were like pretty much in control of that game through the mid game because we were paying so much attention to the game. I, maybe there's a version of Subterfuge that only allows you to put in moves once every eight hours or, or daily. Here's my daily check-in, you know? Um, gives you a report of what's around you, yeah. but doesn't give you a live view. You know, who knows, right? Um, but I would love to see a version of this game. Because here's the thing. For me, is you got into Moisturizer. I got into trying to find something instead of Subterfuge. I tried Hades Star, which didn't click with me. It's another kind of uh, uh, strategy game. Yeah, a lot of Subterfuge kind of happens people are real... passing that around. It yeah, doesn't... it doesn't – it's it's a little too complex in terms of just, like, there's a, little, a few too many moving parts. One of the nice things about Subterfuge is, like, there's not that much happening in terms of pure gameplay interaction. It's such a shame. I want to talk about how good the app is. There's things I love about Subterfuge. My, here's my favorite thing about Subterfuge. This is it. This is the thing I've written, and I didn't get a chance to actually publish it because we, we are, are spiking the series. But – um, in Subterfuge, there's an amazing tool that lets you look into the past. It's kind of like a, an, iP- an old iP- uh, iPhone, 
iPod scroll wheel, the, you know, the, the wheel okay. button thing. Um, that so kind of lets you like rotate it. Yeah, it's so clicky. So this is too. You roll it back and you look in the into the past, and all of the color leaves the 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 board. Right. So you know, it's it's the underwater. So it's like blues and some light greens or some bluish greens, and then like the colors of the various players' kingdoms and stuff. And it's like, oh, it's so good to like go back in time and see that disappear. And then the thing that's like the best touch is you can also scroll that forward so you can see what will happen. So you can be like, oh, well, my fleet or my my rival's fleet take over this. Base in time, or hey, how will these different specialist units interact? And the the smallest best touch is when you go forward in time, the color saturates more, and so that leaves the present always feeling a little unreal or a little less um, potent than the future. The future is where things are at at their most you know potent, their most colorful, their most um, alive in subterfuge. And it's such a small detail, but it communicates so much about what makes that game special and great. But it does. And I, I would love to see a version of it with some of the safety valves that we just talked about because it's worth it. So Austin, at the end of this experience, I had the thought though, I think maybe those of us who are most into the game, I think maybe we're ready for that long form Europa Universalis game. No. Real ass game, like real stakes, but like there's an actual game there that you play. Like there's, there's, there's meat on those bones. Uh huh. And when Uh you like, imagine this. When you're negotiating those like long late night chat sessions, it's not this. it's not just you bullying a pseudo like an acquaintance or a friend into bending uh-huh. to your will. It's instead like real horse trading. Like if you seed me, uh, you know, if you seed me South Burgundy, I will let you have Holland. Do you want to explain what EU four is for people so you so they can understand how ridiculous this this thought is? It's not ridiculous at all. I think it's perfectly <laughs> rational. European Universalis is a big, beautiful history simulator uh, mm-hmm. set in the late Middle Ages all the way up to the early modern period. Uh, it tries to encapsulate a lot of different aspects of history. Um, it's grown very. It's become a, quite are... a shaggy dog game at this point, yeah. given how many expansions there are. Uh, but it's got an awful lot happening in it, and there's an awful lot you can do as sort of the leader of a country uh, through through history. I'll put it on the on the you know the list on the back burner. Holiday, I would love to Holiday watch you play EU four. I really would love to watch you play EU four. I'd love to be. I would love to be your. Rob Zachney or Daniel Riendo to the two of you's Rob Zachney and Daniel Riendo to me during Solaris. I'd love to be an advisor. I'd love to be a, a thought leader. <laughs> no. I'd love to fun. egg you on. See, no, you want to compete. No? You you want you want me to exist as a sovereign. Yes. In your world. We're yeah. all, See, that's we're, a all, lot. we're all we're all royals. We're all doges. We're all kings yeah, and queens. I've, I've, I've heard Lord. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> that's what Lord was singing about. <laughs> I think I on, on that note, we should have something else. You talked about, about reason. We should, let's take a quick break, actually. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll zoom back in. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. 
yahoofinance.com. Zoom. That was me zooming. Whoa. <laughs> We're back. fast. Gotta go fast. 100%. You're talking about reason, Rob. And, and, Danielle, I know that you were you were also playing something that had the uh, focus on the limits of reason. Y- y'all did an episode last week on the Lovecraftian horror, uh, spurned on by the Call of Cthulhu game that came out recently. Um, how how you? I am thinking you you wrapped that up. I saw some tweets last night of you getting hitting a an instant fail stealth section, which yep. every game should have, in my opinion. Oh boy, oh boy, Rob, did you finish this game? Just out of curiosity. So I don't know. I think I'm at the very end. I wanted to beat it last night because I just felt like, okay. So, of course, we should probably preface this. There's a lot of fucking issues with this game, and we talked about them at length, especially the racism of H.P. Lovecraft uh, in a previous episode. So, like, starting off with that, like, that's a wrapper on top of all of this. But there is enough in this game that keeps me going back and makes me actually really want to finish it, even though it almost completely sabotaged that last night with an instant fail section that was terrible and bad and oh my god it was very close to being like you're done cthulhu i'm done with you forever go to bed uh but i sought out twitter somebody gave me some advice for this horrible bad section it's like an instant kill stealth section and there's loading on both ends and it just holy shit it was not necessary in this game it's it's the next section is fascinating and i want to talk about that a little bit and then there's another section that does yeah i know seriously uh thank god i did and then there's another section after that that does what i think the game was trying to do in this instant kill stealth section by being freaky and weird and having a lot of tension but without that insta kill sort of aspect which was great so the section after this um and i guess spoilers but i'll keep it relatively vague you sort of astral project uh, from Pierce, uh, Mr. You know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Detective Man, Mr. PI, into this woman doctor who is working at this institute, this this hospital where obviously there's an evil doctor doing experiments. This is a trope; everybody knows this mm-hmm. is what's going on. But what's fascinating about this section, uh, and I loved it, and I actually found this really interesting. And I thought, like, oh, actually, there's something here. These developers are actually really kind of working on a level here. Uh, because the entire sort of purpose of this section is for you to both be a doctor and sort of heal your patients and examine them and, and try to help these people. And also be a woman doctor in the 20s who nobody will believe that something fucked up is going on. Uh, so you have to sort of navigate your way through. There's some sort of puzzle sections to figure out how to distract a sort of uh, head nurse who's really mean and awful and abusive to the other nurses, which is also like kind of a trope in sort of hospital fiction and also... A thing that can happen in real life, certainly. Uh, a, a thing that... That's a real thing that happens. There's, like, a hierarchy sometimes that uh, gets a little weird and a little fucked up. And sort of steal some proof that this male doctor, this sort of, you know, head of the Institute, is doing these horrible experiments on people. And there's, like, a very interesting bit of text where he kind of talks down to you, like, you know, nobody's going to believe you. He doesn't quite out and out say, because you're, you're a woman, but that's definitely the implication. Like... It's, it's very much like you're a woman in a man's profession, uh, you know, being a doctor, not being a nurse, but being a doctor in this world, and you're going to need some good proof or nobody will believe you. And there's sort of another woman, another nurse that you talk to who's, like, on your side. She's going to kind of help you. I just thought that was, like, fascinating and good mm-hmm. and, and super, like, much more subtle than anything else. 
in this game for sure because this is not a subtle game this is a game about monsters stalking you and you know the necronomicon is in there and you know all the things are in here and the accents are terrible and everything else we talked about <laughs> in this game but it's like wow this is a really interesting section and it is you know it's it's all done through verbs right it's all done through actual right. dialogue that you're having with this doctor and with this other nurse and also through gameplay verbs like you are examining patients you're figuring out what's going on you are actually sneaking your way into this office and getting that absolute proof that he's doing these things because nobody will believe your word without proof so that was rad i i was like wow this totally. is good job call of Cthulhu. you you have <laughs> you have done a thing that is subtle and interesting uh maybe much more so than the rest of the game thus far but i was really impressed by that i thought that was pretty rad awesome i need to it's on my list of things to get to because there's been a list of of first person horror stuff this year that I'm trying to finally. Now that we're after Halloween, I'm trying to get right. to it all. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I finally played Paratopic last night on your yes! recommendation, oh my God. Awesome. which is really good. Um, it's like yeah. 40 minutes long. It's like five bucks. You can grab grab it on uh, itch.io or Steam. Um, uh, and um, I guess I would say that it's like the meets 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 to steal an idle thumbs term. Uh, is that it's it's um, the kind of montage heavy gameplay of uh blendo games like 30 flights of loving or, or virginia meets um the sort of uh uh spatial horror of kitty horror show stuff um yeah. or like anatomy or or it also reminded me a lot of connor sherlock and cameron kunzelman's game shout out to cameron obviously cameron writes for us uh but they've they have some great first person stuff um meets and i i know lynchian was like the go-to term here and i guess i definitely see some of the lynchian stuff here um, for sure, but there was there was another sort of like it felt a little bit like um, uh, oh my god, why am I blanking on my guy's name? Cronenberg, uh, a little Cronenbergy oh, sure. in terms of the the blending of technology and body horror, um, especially Videodrome, especially sure. Videodrome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some stuff here that I I it's interesting that it was interesting to play through it once in like 40 minutes and then to realize there was stuff I didn't get but also stuff because like there's straight up like little bonus things now like I guess the Steam version had got some new stuff added to it um, there's a room I didn't go into uh, that I um, definitely unlocked but I didn't realize that I unlocked it um, uh, that I'm curious what's in there so I might go do another playthrough but also there was just so this is a game in which if you read the if you read Paratopics like description i guess it suggests that there are multiple perspectives at work and i thought there were just multiple perspectives in t yeah so it says cutting between numerous detailed and varied vignettes unravel how the stories of three separate characters intersect but i didn't read anything i went in completely fresh i went in without seeing anything so i was like okay i'm playing one character and the timeline is jumping around which I want to make the case may still be true, um, yeah. but 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 like that was a really interesting thing. The way to jump into it was to be like, I don't know shit about this. Am I one person who's doing a couple of different things? There's definitely some there's definitely some moments that blend the perspectives together very directly. Um, there are these incredible long driving sequences uh, that feel like there have been other games that do this. Jalopy came out last year, which is a game all about this sort of long driving experience. There were a couple other horror games that came out in the last couple of years that have been about driving and either being pursued or just like being in a car at night. 
Um, there was a really good game. God, what was it called? Is it just like driving at night and talking to strangers or something? Glitch hikers. And w- glitch hikers. Thank you. You know, AKA driving at night and talking <laughs> to strangers, um, yeah, which has a similar, has like a similar vibe in, in, uh, but much less creepy one than driving out of the city and into like, into the, the countryside. Um, worth seeing, worth playing for sure. Absolutely. Um, Briefly before before I move on, I also played uh, Hitman Two at a demo uh, uh, event a week and a half ago now, um, and I played the Columbia level, which is certainly fil- okay. First of all, disclosure: uh, I'm very close with someone on the writing staff. Janine Hawkins, who's written for us, is writing on Hitman Two. I've known Janine since I was a teenager. Like we are business partners together, so take everything I say with a grain <laughs> of salt. Um, uh, because otherwise, what are you doing? The it's Hitman again to some degree, right? I, I will say that like right away, it, it scratched all the itches. It was really fun to find different opportunities to move through this world. Uh, Danielle, I really want like everyone on this call should play Hitman. Uh, Hitman Two, I guess, is if if I don't know if it's like a special edition or if it's just baseline has all the Hitman One stuff in it. So oh, you should consider cool. buying this package and going through that first set of, of levels again, um, because it's it's not an immersive sim in the sense of like looking on people's computers for passwords, but it is a immersive sim in the more sandboxy sense um and mm. so there were so many funny bits of me playing i actually have footage i should figure out a way to get it and maybe we should stream it and talk about it um but uh kind of innovative problem solving learning how to make the systems crunch into each it's other such a malleable world totally like, uh i played a little bit of the first hitman like the first couple of levels and what impressed me so much was just being able to be as creative like nothing there is no fail state like the fail state is you die Mm -hmm. um but otherwise you there are so many opportunities to keep innovating and keep like kind of changing your approach yeah it's it's so much it keeps you engaged it's like the opposite of the stuff that we talked about on the red dead 101 right which is like yeah they're in the red dead 101 there's nothing but or they're in red dead 1 and red dead 2 there's so many fail states if i shoot this person if i you know fuck up in this way or that way like there's so many fail states and in in the base levels hitman does not give you many outside of you are dead right yeah um or your subject your target escaped right but yeah. every point before those, there's a chance for you to pull something wacky and amazing off, um, you know, by way of throwing soup cans at people and changing disguises and setting off, you know, traps you'd set previously. And uh, and, and also especially integrating with these various um, uh, opportunities. In Hitman 2016, I think it was, they were just called opportunities. I think they're now called, like, mm-hmm. mission goals or mis- mission objects. I don't remember what they're called, but there's, like, different opportunities scattered around the the map so like for one of them <clears throat> for me in Colombia, i overheard early on that first of all the columbia stuff was rough because the, the columbia stuff was very much like oh these are they're making super cocaine here this is a mm. this is a town and what i will say is like it was a town with ordinary people in it and there are lots of just regular folk who like live and work in this little village but also it absolutely was like and here are the coca fields and here is the madman making super cocaine um I I may have killed him by putting him into the machine that makes super cocaine. So that's something at least. <laughs> um, but uh, one yeah. of the early, early opportunities, I, I think all that stuff. No, 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 no. It's 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 so like 1983 in in its presentation oh. of what. Do you know what I mean? It's like oh, it's Columbia. So there's like Cue three drug Vice, lords, like guitars, hundred percent, yeah, a hundred percent. Um, 
you know, and I, there's a bunch of shit going on. It's all tied into a global conspiracy that is helmed by a rival, blah, 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 blah. I have a question about that, actually. Sure. So, with Hitman 1 and then this one, the focus is always on the sandbox, the game, the creativity yes. it has. Something I sort of did guiltily enjoy, even though it's very uneven, is the overarching plots of the Hitman mm-hmm. series. And, like, yeah, it does tend to hit beats about, like, can, can Agent 47 save his soul? The answer is not really. And not he, really, he may no. not be that He's, even. He killed a lot of idea. people. Yeah. yeah. But nevertheless, is it still sort of building on that, like, foundation? Yeah, there's definitely. So, so Hitman 2016 was just kind of like, you're on these five hits. And along the way, there's like, there are cutscenes that play in between each hit that kind of, someone is killing people. And you know, who isn't, someone besides you is killing people. And <laughs> they all know something. And it's conspiracy. This one seems like it's going to be like, okay, here are the fucking stakes. Here is this big global conspiracy. Here is this big rival of yours i expect some sort of showdown i expect some sort of like i don't know i don't know we'll see we'll see what it looks like um the bulk of what you do in that game though is play through the levels and then replay them in a combination of things that are not just the regular hits and that's where it gets super creative um so for any given so again so for for in columbia uh, when i played there was one of the ways i could kill a target was by uh stealing the identity of a tattoo artist um who's like a world famous instagram tattoo artist uh, and using that identity to sneak in because the drug kingpin there had a tattoo of a different person than his current partner, and she was not happy about that and wanted me oh. to cover it up. And like made an appointment and blah, blah, blah. Not me, made the guy who I killed. Uh, so I killed that. First of all, there was absolutely the moment of like, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll, I, I'll find him, and I found him in a bar, and then I turned up the jukebox. I, I put uh, money in the jukebox so that music would play. So the call he was taking in this quiet bar, he'd have to take outside. And he took it outside in a quiet corner in an wow. alleyway. So I snuck behind him, and I fucked up the assassination. I tried to just, like, garrot him, but I instead I just kind of, like, went, like, hey, and grabbed him. And it was <laughs> oh, loud. No! I, was, I was playing. It's a demo situation. There was someone watching me. It was very uncomfortable. And anyway, <laughs> like, 30 people died in that alley. In the end, oh <laughs> my just, it was it was probably more like twelve, but that's still a lot. Do you remember that um, bit in Casino where Joe Pesci is talking about the importance of having your grave dug in the desert well in advance, oh yeah. or else somebody's going to come across you digging the grave, and now you've <laughs> yep. got two graves. And if you're not careful, you're out there. Hundred the percent. That's exactly night. what happened. Well, so and then the thing that ended up happening was like, all right, like I calmed it down. I got I got some distance. I killed a bunch of people. I got some distance. Uh, they started dragging the bodies away and all that. Like everything was kind of calmed down, but in the process, I had I had briefly put on the tattoo artist disguise, and so people were like, "Oh yeah, it's a guy wearing like a shitty shirt and like a bandana and sunglasses." So they knew what I looked like, but not the whole map, only that region, only this like waterfront section. So I was like, "Okay, I gotta put on the tattoo artist disguise." It wasn't fully compromised, so I was like, "I gotta put this on." And then I got to sneak through this waterfront. I like speed walk through this waterfront and break <laughs> eye contact with the 30 people who would recognize that I'm the killer so I can get to this mansion and tattoo this guy to death. And all of that was really fun. And like all of that's already fun. But then what makes this game really good, and I didn't get to do any of this in Hitman 2 yet, but it was what made Hitman 1 really good and this stuff is coming back, are the escalation missions and the, um, uh, and the elusive targets. So elusive targets, the first one they've already advertised is Sean Bean for the first one, which is wild. Um, 
Uh, the elusive targets are you get one chance to get this person. You have a target, you have one chance to get them, and that's it. Uh, and I'm super excited to see those. They show up like once a week or one, once every other week. Basically, you get a new one that's like you, with unique dialogue and a unique you know character, and it, it's in one of the previous maps. But they, are, they will be doing something that wasn't happening before. You know, maybe they're on patrol with some armed guards, or maybe they're out on a boat or something like that. Um, but the escalations are where things get really, really good. So my favorite escalation is from the first game, um, and it begins with, um, uh, they kind of give you bonus rules, right? They say, okay, here's your target. First time, just go kill this person. You go kill that person. It's a different person in the map than what it normally is. So my favorite one is in Paris, which is like there's a fashion show happening in this big manor, this giant palace uh, in, 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 pa in Paris, outside of Paris. Um, and so the first one, like, let's just say it's like, okay, your, your target is this like uh, mid-level diplomat who is here at a part of some secret negotiations. I forget who the actual target is, but like that is the thing that's happening. It's like, okay, I go and kill them. And then they go, okay, now do that again, except this time you could never not have a gun in your hand. If you ever don't have a gun in your hand for more than five seconds, you fail the mission. So they introduce fail states. So you're like, okay, then I guess what I'm going to need to do is very quickly get a guard, like a security guard uniform, and then I'll wear that, but the security guard can have a gun all the time, so that's fine. Then it, you do that, and you're like, all right, cool, I did it. Then the third time, it's like, all right, you can you have to always have a gun in your hand, and also you can't be a security guard. And like, okay, fuck, well, shit, okay, uh, I guess I'm just going to have to run through this place, running, having a gun in my hand, putting it away for four seconds, pulling it out again, and like, okay, reset the clock, and going through it that way. And then eventually it ends up being like, and also now there's a second target, or something like that. And the game's escalation missions end up making you learn the map so well. I'm so excited to play more of this game. It should be out pretty soon, so I'm, I'm, I think they sent review code over, over, so I just need to make the time to, to dig into it. Y'all should really, really, really give it a shot this year, because yeah. there's some new stuff that's really cool around, like, hiding in plain sight, mirrors work now, which is, a, like, a, a double-edged sword in a real way. Um, and oh, I remember that from the demo at E3 yes. when you were like in the bathroom. Fuck, that was so funny. <laughs> yes, yes. We didn't even really talk about it back at E3, but yeah, there was a moment where like straight up being in the bathroom, I was like, all right, I got you. And the guy just saw me because there's a mirror. I was like, fuck, god damn it. Um, and Wait, some other stuff. The mirror. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, anybody else been playing stuff? What else, is, what else is popping off right now? Danielle? I have a game that is bringing me right back to the, the beautiful days of around 1997. 97 and 99, because there's sure. two hallmarks here. Uh, I have been playing a game that's out uh, tomorrow. It's called Grip Combat mm -hmm. Racing. Uh, and it is hearkening back really, really, really nicely and well to 90s and 64 racing games. So this so is what a are sort talking? of... Yeah, what, give me the extreme comparison. Extreme G. Two, okay. So the two things that it is really feeling closest to are Extreme G, which is like a futuristic acclaim racing motorcycle game in like, right. you know, the sci-fi world and pod racer episode one pod racer which is like probably by far and away the best thing that came out of star wars episode one uh it was like a really awesome star wars racing game that felt fast it felt fun it had all these sort of wild star warsy knockoff planets that you're just racing around in lots of shortcuts lots of wild stuff going on uh so it's very very much kind of both of those things it even has and this is so charming uh it has a backstory page where you can read Ooh. about like the backstory of this society, this futuristic <laughs> society, and the the racing stuff. And there's like typos in it. I love it. It's fucking. It's like from 1997. It's beautiful. Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, very arcadey racing game where you're this sort of 
it's like a car, but the wheels are huge and the sort of body of the car is very thin, so you can flip over either way. Okay. Uh, and the, the tracks do a lot of twisting and turning and upside down kind of stuff. You can sort of flip gravity if you're going fast enough, so you can kind of go upside down on the track. So the tracks tend to have a lot of tubes that you're kind of like flipping around in. Uh, there are weapons. It's very, it's very, I don't actually want to call it Wipeout-like, even though I actually spent a lot of time no, there's, with the... Yeah, but there's a distinction between like the Wipeout games and, and Extreme G, right? Yes. Very, very uh, like in terms of the actual, like there's combat, obviously there's power-ups, so it's Wipeout-ish in that way, but it, mm -hmm. Wipeout, you're in a flying vehicle and things feel very, very different. In this, you feel very grounded and very stuck and very grippy, uh, sort of to the whatever name. surface you're on, which is the sort of Extreme G comparison there so right i guess my yeah. question is like i associate a lot of those games that you're sort of citing from the late 90s as trying to sell you on this idea of like you're not just racing you're like going hyper speed like this is oh, this yeah. is racing in the future you're super fast and i think i have two questions related to this one is that like you're saying it's very grippy it's very grounded it's like sort of really kinetic combat does that mean it's trying for a slightly slower vibe overall or and this is the other part it's really tricky to make a game that feels like blindingly fast, but is slow enough for you to actually play and be good at, right? Like a game that actually like, has <laughs> yeah. you rocketing down a course. Probably most people would be shit at that, and that's frustrating. So I'm curious how this sort of threads that needle. Yeah, I think it actually does it pretty well. And and this is also to say, I, I suspect this game does not have a massive budget. It was made in Unreal. It's like... There are definitely a little bit of, of bugs here and there. Like, I've definitely gotten caught in some weird surfaces here and there. Not all the time, but it's like, okay, it's it's not exactly the most polished experience, but that is also sort of helping. Frankly, I'm finding it kind of charming. You're the thirsty in the desert. Bit rough. You know? You know what I'm saying? There aren't not a lot of great arcade yeah. 90s <laughs> racers out there these days, okay? Uh, but yeah, it, it does feel very fast, but also, you know, the power-ups are very basic. It's like, there's a rocket, there's a that's sort of like a squid looking missile thing that kind of targets thing. You know, it's like there's like five basic power ups. So you're just trying to screw over your opponent. It's very sort of Mario Kart style. It's not like a very the combat itself is very, very, very simple. So you really are focused more on going fast or scoring points. There are certain types okay. of game types. So there are several different game types. And there's actually a really awesome campaign mode that I'm moving my way through that has all sorts of you know, tournaments with the different game types. It's like, it starts you out racing with like only two or three other opponents. And then you kind of work your way up to racing and or doing the sort of score attack mode where you're racing. But really what you're trying to do is get points from getting airtime and, you know, kicking other people's asses and things like that. There is arena combat in this as well. Very sort of, it's like Mario Kart, but way faster. And it's fun, but I'm, I'm not playing with another person. So it's sort of like, okay, I'm just kind of dipping into that mode just to see how it feels. Uh, but I'm, is there I'm much online more impressed multiplayer with the racing. working yet? Or? To be honest, I'm not even sure. I haven't even okay. tried it yet. I've just been in the single player mode. Yeah. And like the campaign gives you that to taste more or less. Like, yeah. Oh, see if you like it. You know, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it does feel, it feels fast. It does not feel as fast as Wipeout because it does have that sort of grippier or more right. grounded feeling to it. Wipeout things are just flying past you at all times. You feel like and you this, can just like leave the track at any moment. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, and this does feel a little bit more grounded, but it does feel cool. fast. Uh, so it does feel. It, I, I keep thinking about Extreme G, like as like a as a comparison I mean, point. And that game, I loved that tubes, game. Right, like Extreme G had tubes. all that stuff. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, exactly. Awesome. Cool. It's fun. Uh, it's else? really fun. Anyone yeah. else have a have a, a hit of something here that they've been playing? Um, I have a hit of something I've been listening to. Oh shit! What is it? 
uh, is it the soundtrack to the next no no it's not the soundtrack to the Grinch (laughs) no it's Ariana Grande's newest bop thank you next Ooh. which is about being grateful for your exes for what they've what they have taught you it is truly a power move and I applaud her hell yeah shout out shout out to Ariana Grande yeah shout outs um in other news, uh, I've been I played Dark Souls. Oh hell yeah! Friday night, with you were there, Austin. Oh, I thought you meant like after that. No, no, no. You're like, no. I need um, a break. <laughs> after that, I was had a, another Dark Souls of my own in the form of my dog being sick this Ooh. weekend. Oh yeah. But um, I played Dark Souls on stream Friday night. The VOD is on Twitch and will be on YouTube soon. Um, it was i it's so, it's so funny that the i feel like i've been so desensitized by bloodborne that i'm not as phased by like the loss in dark souls by like losing a bunch of um souls or by lo- or you know die i got really annoyed that i kept dying to that first boss yeah. though because i felt like it ha- who, it who, took me the taurus demon Taurus demon. Yeah. Um, I felt like it took me way too many tries to get that down. Um, but oh. something that I am trying to teach myself is that f- coming from Bloodborne, which like rewards your aggressive play in like getting your uh, health back by like continuing to fight or whatever, this will not do that. So it is it is better to be um, defensive sometimes and or, or just not to. You have to be even more careful of being greedy, yeah. I guess, which is something I have a problem with. Um, but it's been it's been really fun, um, and <clears throat> I think it does. I'm playing it on Switch, and I think it does quite well um, in terms of like performance. So far, I haven't noticed anything that's been Talk like. Talk to me when you get to Blight Town. When you get to Blight Town, <laughs> is it bad there? I haven't gotten there yet. I'm curious. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying. Are you playing know. too? No. I'm oh. just curious. Okay, I'll let you know. Because Apparently, Joel just left Blight Town. Yeah, yeah. I saw that um, message. I'm, I'm about to say about LA. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, true. I would never speak. Yeah, right. I would oh, Natalie. Never speak ill. I forgot. Damage done. What's up? What? Sorry, that was the Red Sox catchphrase this season. Oh, uh, was it? <laughs> gotcha. Are right. we finally doing this? Are we're, we finally? Oh, God. The reckoning. I'm upset. I was an upsetting, you know. You deserve a win. You play 18 innings in one game, everybody deserves a win. That's what I'm, that's my position. (laughs) True, but we deserve it more because we haven't had one in a really long time since like the 80s. And last year we got so close. Mm -hmm. This year we fought so hard Mm -hmm. to get that wild card, to get in there, to squeeze our way into the finals. And, uh, you know, it just, that's just how it be sometimes. Yeah. You just be losing to the fucking Red Sox. The real Dark Souls of baseball. Um, <laughs> anyway. The Red Souls um, of baseball, perhaps? And... Yeah, yeah, it's just. Are you. It was. We can get you back yes. to Dark Souls and get you out of this baseball hell. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Are you seeing what made that game, what made people respond to that game so well, even though you came to the kind of broader series with Bloodborne first, or does it feel kind of dated in any way? 
I it it's funny. It doesn't feel dated at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels. I mean, I think because the mechanics of the game are so um, tied to the Souls like genre itself right. that the the mechanics haven't really changed all that much in mm. terms of like movement, in terms of um, uh, 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 combat action, any of those things. It 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 really hasn't changed all that much um perhaps it's been like a little bit more refined but even still like i didn't feel like i was being hindered by like uh uh by like getting caught on 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 pixels and and, like getting caught on geometry or something like that the only time where it was a little rough was uh, in fighting the boss, getting caught on uh, like in between his legs, yeah, <laughs> or falling or through like the side of the the falling through the side, which the is meant, but that's yeah. meant to happen. Yeah. That that that's not like, um, I think the thing that it, you know, you are vulnerable to the world. Uh, you're not only vulnerable to the enemies that are around you, but the world itself is precarious, and um, you are not invincible as so many other games Mm -hmm. like to pretend we are um so it's it's been refreshing because um it's nice to to have to pay attention sometimes and to to I feel like I'm getting to know the world so much uh more deeply than I perhaps like in in Bloodborne I felt like I had like paths that I had carved out for myself of like being able to move through spaces really quickly and like getting to know the map was like so crucial to me feeling comfortable in in a certain area and I am happy to be doing it again in Dark Souls and I'm kind of happy to to be having a a fresh start um in and being able to kind of and doing this on my own instead you know we're not streaming it I mean we may check in later but doing it on my own has been like oh, okay, I can kind of take my time here and I'm not as much on a crunch to the end. Or, like, trying Um, to make it into entertainment for people, which is such a different thing. Like, sometimes... It's definitely... But it's funny because I think these games are... can be... uh, At least for for, uh, Dark Souls, I've been noticing, since you do have, like, the SS Flask automatic refill, there's a little (sighs) bit less grinding than... Or a lot less grinding than uh, Bloodborne has. So... It was funny because me and Kato were sitting here before we started streaming, and I was just playing, and he was watching, and there were just so many funny moments that just yeah. kept happening, and I was like, I wish we were fucking streaming it's this. So like, this is just, it's so good because there is that like the same with 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 Hitman. There is the the sort of emergent play that is like catches you off guard, and then you have to be responsive. Yeah. You have to kind of, um, and the way out is not like always simple. Like you can't just defeat the enemy right in front of you because there will be another one or there will be some sort of cause and effect because of that. Like, a lot of the time, if you're caught off guard, you are in a very vulnerable state and you need to get the fuck out because otherwise you have 5,000 souls (laughs) that you've been holding on to for too long because you forgot about leveling up and you... Really need to remember how the game works. And then also sometimes um, you'll run. You'll be like, okay, I got to get out of here. But I can't go backwards because behind me is 30 other dudes. I'm going to yeah. go forward. And then like, no, don't. No. Okay. Well, now you're on like a goofy 
chase into the into where you know there are more bad guys. Just There's into not, the fray. Yeah, yeah, it's only worse it's, that way. It only gets worse. That is basically the Dark Souls thing. Is it's only gonna get worse. <laughs> like you can keep running, but there is always gonna be. There's no safe zone Mm -hmm. like you're never gonna run and be like be able to like catch a breath like as soon as you're like on that inhale somebody's gonna come out of a corner and like catch you so it's it's been fun to to be um to be playing one of those types of games again i haven't played one since um hollow Hollow knight Knight, which was i guess that was a a month or two ago now Right? August, right? It's been, yeah, yeah it's been a time? while. What is time? It's, it's been a while. So it's fun like, to play I, again. I think I'm ready for one of those games in my life. I think that would actually make this the end of this, uh, the end of this year really great, but I haven't found one that really grabs me yet. And I don't really want to replay Dark Souls 1 right now. So I don't know. <laughs> it's a, it's a long thing. Yeah. We'll see. I'll poke around and see if there's something else. Like I never got around to the surge. I know there's other stuff in this space that's like, Maybe could there were so many that came out this year. Yeah, I feel like yeah. there was like Salt and Sanctuary, there was Dead Cells, there was yeah uh, Hollow Knight being re-released on Switch. Maybe there... go back to Hollow Knight. We'll see. I'll 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 spend some time this week looking at Souls adjacent games. Yeah, you know? let me know what you find. I'm always down to hell yeah to ruin my life. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, Rob, you still you still hitting Red Dead? Uh, yeah. And you have any you have any new thoughts? I mean, obviously, we're in the middle of this letter series. I think Patrick's will go up today. Mine went up Friday. People wanted to know what I think about it. I, I did a letter. I mean, we're not, I'm not done yet, obviously. Uh, but we, we're doing a letter series here between people who are playing it. And um, my first letter went up. Rob, you should have something later this week. Patrick's is yeah. going to go up today. Um, I think, uh, and this is going to echo what a lot of people have been saying, what Heather over Kotaku has been saying, camp is so good. Like, mm-hmm. and not just, and not just that it's charming, not just that it's like a satisfying hub area to explore. There is so much good, nuanced characterization work that happens back at camp. Uh, that, and you're talking about, and you're talking about a Rockstar game. <laughs> yeah, uh, right? which like, right, like I mean, by Rockstar standards, what's what's happening in camp is their moonshot. Uh, right, but like, right. and I still have issues with a lot of the writing that you find, even in in the camp sequences. But there are also such good beats, like, um, so I just, uh, over the, early in the weekend, I got to the part where there's a, a party in camp, uh, you rescued somebody mm-hmm. and there's, there's a celebration and you get the sense that like Dutch wants to like, even Dutch to a degree, like mm-hmm. shitty though he is also really wants that break from being yeah. the head of the gang. But what's cool is I watched him throughout a lot of that party. And in Ooh. no time at all, the whimsy that was upon him, the, the, the part of him that wanted to sort of you know, let his hair down and party with, the, party with the gang, in no time at all that's gone. And he's realizing, right. again, how isolated he is by his position, by the choices he's made. And you catch him like trying to reforge his connection with Hosaya, who's the old-time shit-kicker yeah. with the gang. Yeah. And just, like, the little animation details, like the way he keeps reaching out to Hosaya and, like, sort of trying to grip his forearm. And just yeah. as they tell stories from the old days. And, like, it's kind of working, but also it's kind of not. And you can tell there's that, like, reserve on both sides that, like, the old days is gone. And yeah. they're not coming back. And Dutch feels it and mm. Hosaya feels it. And they still have this connection, but it is fading. And 
the thing that really stuck with me, uh, well, there was two things. Um, the other thing is that I really do like Arthur as a character. Uh, okay. I like that he is... Really? I do. Um, because... Read his journal. Read his journal, Natalie. The journal's good. I like the journal That's who he is. He drew a little heart. Did you see the heart? He drew a heart. Why isn't he like that when he talks, though? I think he, I think he roughly is, though. Like, there's a different Arthurs out there. Like, what I like about Arthur is that he's not an eloquent man. Um, but he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's smart, but he's not quick, if that makes sense. Like, Arthur is... Oh, that's is, good. Arthur is slow and and so- solid, but he gets there, and he's got a lot going on beneath the surface that he does not show. That pulls yeah, a lot of the true. contrast with John Marston to the front because yeah. you know the, the game sets them up as like rivals in a big way immediately. The rivals for Dutch's affection, um, rivals in that both of them are like they're men of letters. They've been taught to read and understand the world by Dutch. Like they they want to they mm-hmm. are they are heirs to the philosopher bandit kingdom, right? But Arthur is not quick. Like he's when he sits down at night and writes in his journal, he can say really remarkable things. But yeah. like in when push comes to shove in the middle of the moment, he doesn't have some like witty comeback. He doesn't have the 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 depths of like um which John always does, especially in Red Dead One. I don't know that they're always good, but he's written as if he's a character who has witty comebacks in Red Dead yeah. One, right? Yeah. Um and I think that's an interesting an interesting departure between the two. Yeah, and, and and so I think like there's always an element in a lot of his interactions with Arthur trying to be the person people want him to be. Like people reach out and they want to chat, but he's not good at chatting. And he like does his best, but he never feels quite like he's comfortable in those sort of one on one exchanges unless they're really special and isolated, like going hunting with Hosea. Uh at that right. point he can start mm-hmm. to maybe give words to what he's feeling. But a detail that I adored is that when people are inviting him to sing around the campfire, Arthur doesn't know the words. He knows some no. of the words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he tries to fake it and he's a little out of he's a little out of step with the rest of the group in a way that is notable even for the way everyone is a little off key and out of step in this campfire singing. Arthur wants to be part of the moment, but he can't quite pull it off. And yeah. but then you get to a song like Jack of Diamonds, where he kind of oh. does know the words, because I think they speak a little more to him. This is a song that's a little more Arthur speed. And he mm. does get a little more into that one than to some of the other like body camp songs. Uh, so mm. I, I love that detail. And then I love like toward the end of that night, you turn around, people are still partying and you see Dutch brooding on his camp bed, just uh-huh. like hunched over pensive, completely alone, uh, looking deeply yeah. unhappy and like all wordless. It's no, it's no writing. But for me, that is probably the best stuff in in Red Dead. Are those are those little notes? Well, that that so so firmly gets to the thing you were just talking about, uh, or not just, but uh, last week we were talking about Red Dead Two's strengths not being its cinematic storytelling, but being its kind of uh, the the moments that it just uses a big space that you can move around and see people animating and feel like you're at the party or at the camp in the morning or even in the bar sequences. There are moments that, that work yeah. really well that are like, there are moments where there are cutscenes that I think fire well, but by and large, the stuff that I really like is just the kind of, um, the open world uh, uh, or, or the, the camp, which is scripted. Scripted stuff, but stuff that is about you, where you are the camera, where you, you as Arthur Morgan are exploring the space. 
or looking at people go through their routines or going through a routine yourself, those things are so much stronger to me than the, or you, know, you go out fishing or hunting with someone, you sit down with someone at the, on, a, on a log and, you know, talk about their, pro, you know, oh, she's writing a novel and you write your journal and you both kind of like beat yourself up about your own writing ability, but you love writing. So you're going to like bond over that. That stuff mm-hmm. has been, has been fairly strong for me so far. Um, as always, like so much of it is grounded in, and, and this is what I get at in the, the piece I wrote on, on Friday, uh, or for Friday, I didn't write it on Friday. Um, <laughs> I wish I was that quick. Uh, but the, that, that piece was largely about all of the different frictions and tensions that are at, in this game, both in terms of its narrative themes, uh, in which the, the character, so much of it is about the friction of this group falling apart as time, as time, you know, uh, elides the, or not elides, but, but, uh, erodes the relationships between what they were in the past and the future, but also the friction between, you know, knowing what this game is and knowing how it was made and knowing all the, the labor that went into it and the labor practices that were reported about by Kotaku about, you know, the, the long nights and the mandatory overtime and all that stuff. And it's like, it's still so hard for me to, I, I had, a, I had a moment this weekend, I got brunch with some friends and these are, it was with two people who are people who take seriously a lot of the same things I take serious. Right. Which is to say like labor conditions in the games industry, uh, issues with with capitalism, a desire for equitability and and fairness. These are people who who are are like me would would like the world world to look a lot more socialist, right? Um, and because of that, we were able to very we were and also we had spoken at length about the rockstar stuff in the past. These people I was spending time with when Harold Goldberg's piece and Vulture hit. So like we had those conversations and, and you know spoke about the Jason Schreier stuff. So we already had those conversations. We knew where we were. Um, and, and it wasn't, and we weren't using a platform, so there was no responsibility level. It was just like us at brunch. And we were able to talk about the game in a way that was just like, here are the things I really love about this. Here are the, here are the experiences I'm having. Here are the things I hate about it. Here are just like the bad menus. Why the fuck does, does it do blah, blah, blah? Why does it do this? Here are the stories I produced, blah, blah, blah. And one, it was really great to have that conversation and like open up that vent. But also, even then, it was impossible to escape Two things. One, the the uh, product, the the conditions of production for it, where we even when we were like, "Wow, that was amazing." It's like, okay, but wait, how many hours did it take to get this right or that right? Um, and then the 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 other thing was just like, okay, but like, is this thing all for naught at some point? Because at the end of the day, the cowboy fantasy is shot through with so much garbage. Not all for naught, but is it? it even when there is fruit, is it from the poison tree to some degree, right? Like, I, I like Arthur. Part of, a big part of me likes Arthur a lot. And also, Arthur is the sort of character who I roll my eyes at when I haven't been ingratiated to him yet, right? Like, he's, well, he's a well-executed character of an archetype that has held up a lot of gross shit for a long time. The sort of, like, Wild West cowboy who doesn't quite believe... It was all the stuff we talked about with Red Dead 1, right? I don't have to get into it again. You go back and listen to the Red Dead... Uh, Waypoint 101 stuff that is like so tied into the rock star fantasy um, of of free of what freedom is. And again, haven't finished the game yet. Um, I'm excited to see the rest of it. Still, I'm like very curious because I know there's some shit coming up that is. I'm very curious because I know that there is some shit with with indigenous folk that I have very 
high skepticism about. Um, I'm also excited because I'm about to go kill some clan members. Uh, and anytime <laughs> a game lets me kill clan members, it gets a couple points for me. Um, you know, that's what raises you from a, from a 78 to an 80. Let me kill the clan. But then this is also <laughs> a game that lets you beat the shit out of a suffragette and put that on totally, YouTube. Totally, 100%. And 100%. I mean, this is the other thing is like, again, to be this naive, this stage of the game, like anything you put in a game mm-hmm. where the game lets you do that, people are going to do it. Yep. And to a degree, totally. like you can be like, well, it's a sandbox. But man, if your sandbox services the fantasies of people who are like, man, like I wish I could just attack a feminist, which is a toxic like thing, alive and fucking well, uh, sort of bestriding yeah. our culture sure right is. now. Um, you can't just like create the game and then be like, well, who could have who could have predicted uh, yeah. that people would view this as intended play? Oh, but Rob, you're going to want to level if you do it. That means that the game doesn't want you to do it, even though you're an outlaw who blah, 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 I blah. did have a question just for Natalie real real quick, because it sounds like you were pretty skeptical of, of Arthur. And, like, I'm like I'm basing my read off a few scenes, a few key scenes, but I'm curious, like, what you've seen of him that makes you already pretty cool on him. I mean, I don't think I'm necessarily, like, I I think what I am is frustrated with the and perhaps this like speaks to his character, but with the inconsistency of that uh, intimacy that you see in those bar scenes that you see in like the camp scenes. Like I I love seeing the intimacy between him and his fellow like uh, uh, outlaws uh, uh, outlaw friends and seeing him um in the bar scene uh you know just completely like letting loose and and laughing and and having this like super like jovial uh 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 uh, experience um and that just it and, and it is so expanded which is which i really appreciate like these these moments which could have been a cut scene which could have been uh, a, like a transition piece are are ex- hyper expanded uh, in a way that is really cool to see. And I guess my frustration is in the inconsistency of of walking or of his sort of I don't know, just of of like the. If he does make a quip, it's kind of in in a, a weird vein. It's like it, it doesn't sort of there. Like I see his kind heartedness, but the but the I don't know. It's like the the inconsistency in you getting to play him how you want in terms of, like you can be you know sort of like aggressive, but still you're gonna have these yeah. intimate moments. And so there's not really like it is clear that Arthur is written as someone with like a kind hearted nature at at his core where he like there is you know um he's not an asshole to absolutely everyone he meets like he he does like have uh, an internal conflict about the things that he's doing and i haven't played i've watched a lot of the game i've played a little bit of the game and i've read a lot about the game so i can't really speak fully from experience but um the fact that you can, you know, have these intimate moments and then and then go on to attack like uh, people in the world just sort of willy nilly, like, like based on like for entertainment purposes, for like uh, that it just it feels so like if you 
it feels so inconsistent. And that's the thing that I keep kind of coming up against is like this inconsistency between the scripted and the un and the unscripted is like seeing who who the who Arthur is written to be and then the 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 random sort of things I can do in the open world sector. And then in the scripted sector I am I am Arthur the the character. Right. Um and that that sort of imbalance is just like uncomfortable to me because I want because I know that I can be that Arthur always because that's who I want to play as. But knowing that for other people or for other people like they will try to break that character in the open world as much as they can just to see what you can do is like I just I just don't understand what this who this game wants me to be. Um, do you want me to be the the open world be who I want to be or do you want me to follow this character's uh, uh, that you've written for me? And so that is, I just keep coming up against that and it's been weird. Super briefly, a metaphor I've been, I'm not playing this game, but a metaphor I've been sort of working with, with open world games lately has just been like a Mad Libs thing. Like when you have all these verbs available to the player Mm. and you want to have like a coherent story, you're basically running the risk of just having complete Mad Libs uh, for your player and for like the experience that they're going to have. I know I always talk about player experience goals and everything, but this, this seems to be like a really consuming, all consuming problem. In almost any open world game, unless you have like a very consistent usage of the kind of player verbs that you have available to you, and the tone of the writing is really consistent across that, and it seems like I could be wrong, but it definitely sounds like the sort of thing you're describing here. It feels worse to me, certainly. And I'll give you a concrete example of just a thing that I am struggling with in this game. That I do not have these problems in like an Assassin's Creed game. An Assassin's Creed game, it seems like you wander in a world and everything's very self-contained and like to a degree they're very good at like making these encounters feel isolated. There's a vacuum like quality around a lot of the things that your Mystheos can get up to in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Bayek felt a little more grounded. There were certain things that I maybe didn't feel like Bayek would really be down to do. Uh, yeah, Bayek for me, I had this problem in a big way. But an example that I struggle with like massively and I think spe- this speaks to your point, Danielle, and yours, Natalie, is that... um. A mission type you can get up to, thing you can just go do for fun, you can go rob homesteaders. You just go up yeah. to Javier in the camp, and Javier's like, hey, Arthur, you want to go rob some homesteads? And the answer is, I don't think Arthur would want to rob homesteaders. Like, in the opening scene, you come across the aftermath of a homestead robbery, and it's presented as a scene of horror. Like, this is, mm-hmm. like, even by outlaw standards, this is what amounts to a war crime for a frontier bandit. Um, but here's Javier being like, well, we can just go do that at any time. That's just a mission type you can queue up. And what that means right. is going out to a family's home somewhere in, in uh, you know, in the West and just fucking up their shit and tossing their home for valuables. And there's even a story mission where you're going around working for the loan shark doing that exact mm-hmm. thing. And it feels shitty. Like... <clears throat> Yeah, it's a great mission. I think, such a, I think there's a distinction between that one and the, the homestead like open world thing, for the reason you're saying, which is it's a mission. Yeah, and I think it works as a mission because like, you know, I rode up on those people's homes at night and I was the fucking Bill coming due, right? And that's how it's presented. <laughs> like you got people like, please don't take my stuff. But like Javier, it's a fun theme park ride you can go do. You want to go rob some homes? And it's a box you check. Yeah, 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 yeah. And totally. The thing is, like, Arthur at this point, he's become a cynic about what they're really up to, who's under no illusions. 
but also is increasingly kind of put off by the brutality that he's seeing start mm-hmm. to overtake mm-hmm. the Vanderlind gang. It is so disconcerting to have Javier be like, hey, let's go rob some homes. And Arthur's like, yeah, it seems like a good thing to do on a Saturday. Yeah, it's so, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so torn on this stuff because on one hand... This is a problem as old as the the, the model of game this is, like, and not yeah. just in us. Actually, worse in other versions of the model, the Bethesda model of this, in which I am both mm-hmm. the noble leader of the companions and the leader of the Dark Brotherhood, who has assassinated yeah. dozens of people, like, is way more incoherent. Except that you don't get cutscenes with characters. Your character isn't voiced. You're not, you don't have such a close understanding of the inner psychology of a character. You are kind of just a floating avatar who's seeing content. You're like mm-hmm. content shopping through a Bethesda game. Uh, so yeah, I'll do this here. I'll do this here. Who cares? You know, whatever. Like I'll do all this. Um, and this, this game is at its worst when it encourages you to do that. Now, I definitely think I, it turns out that when I play games, I really get into the role I'm playing and really try to inhabit a, a role and, and, and oh, a really? psychology. And, and so, Weird. like, I just don't do those for Javier. I just yeah. won't. And, like, that means I won't get 100% in this game. It means I won't get, you know, or, or let's say if I was playing the other way, I would absolutely do those things for Javier. And I would not be helping people on the side of the street. But, like, I've decided I want to play as Paragon and Arthur as I want, except... The thing I don't want is I don't want the Assassin's Creed 2 through 4 thing of like, oh, uh, Ezio wouldn't, didn't kill civilians, so you can't do it, period. There are moments in this game where someone wants to get into a fight with me, and for whatever reason, I want the, I want the latitude available to me to fuck them up or to at least antagonize them. I don't mm-hmm. want to just put Arthur in good mode, and I don't want there to be the restriction on my play style for those certain situations, partially because I don't trust any game developer to be, to put those restrictions on in a way that is in line with the character I want to role play Mm -hmm. Um, because they will make it so that, Oh, if I'm good Arthur, that means I never pull the trigger. Whereas I want to go kill some KKK members, right? Like I want to go do that. There are things, there are, there are robberies that I think uh, uh, Arthur is willing to go do. There are targets that are like certain types of targets that I think in my mind, my Arthur is eager to go do. And I think that's a, again, another major friction is what you've identified, Natalie, between the Arthur that is presented in this, in the scripted content, the Arthur that's available to you because of the open world and the Arthur that is encouraged based on just the sheer inclusion of potential objectives. We've been Mm -hmm. trained through games for so long to do the things that are available to us. And this game specifically has challenges to complete that will unlock bonuses for you. Uh, you know, page after page of like completion percentages. How many homesteads have you robbed? How many gang hideouts have you identified and destroyed? How many robberies have you done? Like those things yeah. are presented to you as like things you want to check off. Um, and it, again and again, the thing that I want is for games to encourage players to, when there is this space, when there is this possibility space, and when you are given a big collection of verbs, to encourage you to avoid the Mad Libs thing and teach you how to play a role and encourage you to, you know, in a sense, like, uh, control your own impulses to play something that's consistent and to find the joy in that so that that isn't about reward structure. It isn't like, oh, well, because you've consistently played the good guy, you're going to get this new special gun. Or, or oh, it's a fail state because you've broken character. Just to, to encourage you to 
find what the joy is in playing someone who is consistent. Like I sleep I th- a lot as Arthur because I want him to be writing a lot because he writes every time he sleeps. And that is like part of my characterization. Go ahead, mm-hmm. Natalie. Sorry. But but that's that's exactly it is just to recognize those choices yeah. like in and in, in not necessarily a reward structure because I I think that that can be kind of gatekeepy and it can it can close out things for you and removes that flexibility and malleability that is so um, fun and enjoyable in open world games but the fact that the game responds to your play in the sense that every time that you want to write a lot, so you sleep a lot, yeah. and, and that is a thing, and that becomes a part of the character that you've designed for yourself. Um, or that, you know, uh, uh, you know, not doing... Like, what what does the game... Like, it, does the game... Would the game say something? Like, at least acknowledge not... Doing the Javier missions, right. like what if you could just say, uh, the Javier, stop offering these to me right. because I don't think it's in line with, like our, uh, with like my philosophy. The thing or, is, you know, I'm like, curious if, actually. I'm if I target Javier and hit antagonize, what does happen? Can I do yeah. that here? And if I and if can not, you why close not? off an option? Right. Well, I know like, that can you can you... lose missions. So I did lose a mission this past week. Um, there's a mission to go get something for John Marston. John Marston wants to do a heist. And he's like, well, we're going to need these things. Go do it. And I'm like, all right, John, all right. And I went and did something else instead. And when I came back, I didn't do the thing he asked me to do. And when I and those icons disappeared from my map. And so when I came back, John was like, did you go get the things? And Arthur's like, well, you know, John, things come up. You know, I had other priorities. And John's like, listen, don't worry about it. I took care of it for you. I got the things you ne- we needed. Come meet me by blah, by blah, blah, blah. See, I'm good for something, Arthur. And Arthur's like, yeah, I guess so. I guess so, John. Uh, and that was not I didn't that was not a case where I didn't do the things I morally felt like I shouldn't do the thing. In fact, I did a different thing that I super didn't want Arthur to do. Like I had a mission that produced this effect, which was the great orphanage robbery of 1899. Uh, no, oh, but I like God. I like saved a dude who I think is a piece of shit. Did you get to that mm, mission, Rob? No, okay. no, 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 no. Rev is all right. I mean, he, he isn't. Rev is an alcoholic and like. I actually kind of like it, into actually. A train. His whole wheeling, like, between, like, moments of, like, panned great gratitude. Have, oh, it's a good. It's decent. Yeah, right I have no problem saving the Reverend. There's another character you save from far away uh, that is a piece of shit that my Arthur, that Arthur voiced that he didn't want to save him and had the opportunity to not save him. And then you as the player 100% don't save him. Uh, or do save him anyway, because it's a it's a required mission, as far as I can tell. So I'm with you. I want there to be more opportunities for you to just be like, nah, you know what? Fuck it. Um, but again, <laughs> yeah. it's so hard for me to hold that in my head with the desire to like also make sure that this is a team that didn't work for 80 hours a week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which which is one of these like core core conflicts inside of a game design like this, um, because it encourages it and it encourages the feeling that you can choose anything you want quote unquote when in fact that's not the case and where you draw the lines on what you can and can't choose reveals priorities and reveals suppositions and and reveals a politics and a million other things right um all right that's our red dead check-in i think we'll probably continue the check-in on it it's an inter- it's an interesting game to be playing right now for a billion reasons 
Um, I actually haven't played a bunch since we last talked about it. I just haven't had the time. So this week, I'm, I'm going to try to put some more time into it, figure out where that time comes from. Before we wrap, I just want to shout out one other quick game that I that I played this weekend. Uh, it is a board game. It's also kind of a role-playing game. It's called Inhuman Conditions, a game of cops and robots. Uh, it was on Kickstarter recently, um, and now it's just straight up available in a kind of print um, print and play format. The physical copies that you can buy aren't available yet. They will be sometime later, I think, in 2019. Um, but for now, it's free to play. It's print and play. You can, like, download the cards, print them out on cardboard, or go to a print a print shop and have them printed out there. And then it's a bunch of just, like, paper PDFs for the rules. It is a Voight-Kampf game. It is a game that takes the oh. Voight-Kampf test of Blade Runner. I mean, like, their, their, their setup is, like, it's a five-minute two-player game of surreal interrogation and conversational judo set in the heart of chilling bureaucracy. Each game has one inspector and one suspect armed with only two stamps on a topic of conversation. The investigator must figure out whether the suspect is a human or a robot. Um, oh. It's fascinating. I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll break it down. I'll, I'll tell you the story. Like, I'll tell you, like, the thing that happened that I thought was, like, a really fun moment. So... One player is the investigator, or I was playing with some friends, so we were doing like buddy, we were doing like good cop, bad cop. We we're doing two cops, one suspect, right? <laughs> um, and so the at the top of the thing, both the suspect and the the investigator agrees on a uh, a sort of packet of um, of questions, or not even just a packet of questions. It's kind of like a theme for the per- it's like questioning parameters it's like okay what is the set of, of questions we're going to be pulling from what is the topic of conversation to determine if you're a robot or not and that is something like um creativity or or grief or uh problem solving or just like day- day-to-day activities and this this will change or guide what your um what your uh your basic kind of topics of conversation are you know so like if you're if you choose creativity you know or if you choose like daily daily uh life or something like that it might be stuff like well what do you do when you wake up in the morning whereas if you choose something like grief it's like who was the first person who was important to you that you lost right um the investigator uh chooses those things it gets those questions and again it's something like how would you get out of a tricky situation or something like that um, and then the the other thing that you get at the very top of the game is a penalty. And those penalty cards um, are things that robots will have to do at certain key points, which I'll get to in a second. And that can be something like, say, two words that rhyme consecutively, or say your last name, or refer to the number of fingers you're holding up on your hand, on your left hand. And that gets placed in the middle of the of the table, and that's like a tell between you and the and the... Uh, and the investigator, the suspect and the investigator. Everybody knows what that is, right? Um, the, then the, the suspect draws a suspect card. They draw a couple of suspect cards and choose one. And those are the cards that say either you're a human, you are a patient robot, or you are a violent robot. Um, as the investigator, you get five minutes to tell as many, to ask as many questions as you want to determine whether or not this person is a robot. Um, you have to hit a certain subset of the ones that you kind of drawn. So again, that's that's like you maybe you have to make sure that you at least start down the line of conversation. That is, what do you do in your morning? Or like, what, you know, give me give me some information. What would you do in a hypothetical situation? And maybe you can frame this as the investigator as like, um, imagine this room was on fire right now. What would you do? Right. That's a hypothetical question. Now. As a human, your job is to convince the investigator that you're a human. And you do that by answering their questions. If you're a patient robot, you have the same goal. 
I'm going to try to convince you that I'm a human, but you have a restriction on you. That restriction is based on the thing that you pulled out of your car, you know, the, the thing that's written on your card. So maybe you have something that says like, uh, I had something once that was like, you can only describe objective facts. You can't describe um, uh, things in, in feeling terms. You can only describe things that are true about the world, right? So mm -hmm. in that situation, it's something like someone would say like, um, how did you feel about your brother dying? And I could say something like, I remember it was a really hot summer, but I couldn't say I was really sad about my brother dying. Or more specifically, I could say that if I then sometime between then and the end of the game did the penalty. So I could say I felt really sad about my brother dying. And then a minute or two minutes later say, you know, ah, I remember it was two years ago, right? And maybe be less dramatic than I just lifted up my fingers and said two. Um, or slip my last name in and say, you know, um, I remember, you know, they said, uh, Mr. Walker, blah, 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 blah. And try to like slip that past somebody. Um, the, the other part of that is that the, the, you have to keep that in mind without like looking back down at the card and doing the thing that you fucked up with, uh, because otherwise the investigator will just see you. This is a game where you're looking at people face to face, right? Oh god! Um, and at the end, and at the end, the uh, the investigator has to say if you're a human or a robot, and that's really hard. It's even really hard when you're talking to a human because you start to recognize things. There's a point at which I got called out for being a robot, and I asked the the investigator why, and they're like, "Oh, you used alliteration a couple of times in a row. I thought that might be your your rule," and uh, it was not i austin just like alliteration a lot <laughs> um, it's something i would have totally done as a human so that's that's what happens if you're a patient robot if you are a violent robot you get a different set of things on your card and it's not restrictions it's goals so there was a point at which i was playing oh you also get a card that says what your job is so those can be things like former investigator or second richest person in the world i got one that was renowned uh, academic or renowned you know scholar wow. or something like that um, and in that case, um, my, violent my violent robot goals are, you have to do two of the, th the following three things, right? And th there's a list of these, there's a bunch of these different cards, but the ones that I got were um, respond in one word, do not elaborate until you are asked to, do this three times, respond non-verbally, do not elaborate until asked to, do this three times, and then do the penalty twice. Um, and so we were playing... Um, and it was really easy to do the, like, respond with one word and don't elaborate because we were playing, playing the feelings set, I think. Um, and so they were saying things like, have you ever hurt anybody? And I'd be like, yeah. And just end it there. And then they would have to inquire further. They'd be like, well, who did you hurt? And I'd be like, Mary. And it was very easy to check that box. <laughs> I tried really hard to check the respond non-verbally box, by being like, they would say like, well, you know, um, what happened between you and Mary? And I'd just be like, oh. there's only a certain amount of time you can push that before it's just to seem like something is wrong with you and that maybe you're a robot. So that yeah. you have to be very, so you're like, oh yeah, things went bad with Mary. You know, you're like quickly like, oh no, I have to respond. If I don't respond, they're going to do it. But that last one in that case was um, the perform the penalty twice. And the penalty was saying my own last name, right? So there was a bit where they were like, um, uh, what, would, what would Mary be saying in her own words this morning? And this is like a role play game at this point, right? You're, you're oh, completely shit. improving shit. So I'm like, uh, you know, she would probably be saying that she would, and, and my, my investigator was like, no, in her own words. And I was like, I'm so happy now that Bartleby Bombay is out of my life. Also, I was playing a character named Bartleby Bombay because I'm Austin Walker. 
Um, and so that's check one. Uh, and and I was like, oh shit, I have them. I have them. Because the rule of being a violent robot is once you do two of your three goals, you can stand up from the table and kill the investigators. The second you stand up, they die. And so then they asked me the follow-up question, um, which was like, uh, or maybe it wasn't the, the follow-up question. It was like, I completely was like, oh, let's go to a different line of questioning. What did you have for breakfast today? And I just go, oh, a recipe my parents taught me. We called them Bombay biscuits. And I stood up oh. from the table and it's like, you, you both can dead. totally do the let you. me tell you about my mother thing. Let me tell you about my mother. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And those things are great because the violent robot things are things like describe how three things seem unfair to you or two times say what you think should have happened instead. Um, or they can be things like um, the, one of my favorite ones on the on the violent robot card was like uh, explain how you got into a hypothetical uh, scenario. So the investigator might have a question that's like, ask them how do they would solve a hypothetical scenario. And they might say something like, uh, you know, imagine you're in a diner uh, and you keep ordering pancakes and they keep telling you, they keep bringing out things that aren't pancakes. They keep bringing you waffles and French toast and, and eggs. They won't bring you pancakes. What do you do? Um, and you as the violent robot are like, no, okay, wait a second. How did I get into this? <laughs> how did I get into the pancakes? What if I didn't want pancakes? You can like try to tell that story and it ends up creating just fun interaction. Um, and it ends up being really tense. And the thing that I like the mo- the thing that I like the most about it is the same thing that I like the most about the Void Comp test and then the whatever the Pale Fire test is in the most recent Blade Runner sequel, um, which is it's completely arbitrary nonsense, right? Like I do this stuff already. I already have uh, like alliteration in my names. You might have noticed that because this character I came up with was named Bartleby Bombay, right? Like I, that's already a thing I do. Um, I already try to blame some other people sometimes because I'm a human. I had a <laughs> I had a patient robot thing that was like you can only refer to people to other people as strangers or enemies. And like yeah, some people in the world are just misanthropes, right? That does that make them robots? And so I really enjoyed it, but I will say that there's an undercurrent here that I think the game, the makers should be really careful about, which is, or at least, again, there's a degree to which I think we should be thoughtful when you play a game like this, which is a number of these things that mark you as a robot are also just about neurotypicality, Mm -hmm. right? Which is already in the story, 100%. Like, Blade Runner is already partially a story about who counts as normal and about the the production of normative bodies and the Mm -hmm. exploitation of of, uh, bodies that break from normative uh, type. and that are often created in, in so that people with normative bodies don't have to go do things. Uh, in this case, I do think that there are certain things like um, around not using feeling words, right? Like, oh, you're not allowed to use a feeling word. You're only allowed to describe objective truth. Well, like that describes an entire category of person who really exists, who are humans. And I think that the game wants you to... I think the game is made by people, I suspect the game is made by people who understand what the connotations here are, that like this is an oppressive, fascistic way of identifying whether or not someone counts as a real person. But anytime that you play in that space, things can be really fraught and really intense. Things become, it can be easy to end up like, I had such a good time today being the cop who determines who is and isn't a person based on how much their brain is like mine. And that, mm. when you when you kind of again when you erode the kind of undercurrent to that stuff, it gets tricky. Um, and I think there's probably a way to do it where you get rid of some of that stuff, and it's more of the like you have to rhyme two words, you have to you know you have to look you have to say three and look at your hand or whatever. 
but I think that also undercuts so much of what makes the game work. So what I really would love is like when this game ships to like have language in the because right now the, the the version of it you can just download and play is very sparse. It's like here are the rules of play. Um, you know, there's some some smart stuff around like the ways in which robots and people are actually very similar in, in some key ways, but like there just isn't enough that is that makes it clear how fraught this part of this stuff is that like you could leave this game just thinking what you were doing was identifying or not identifying robots and not playing like those the role of someone who is enforcing uh so many of the the kind of normative ideas of what counts as a person and like i want you to at least engage with that idea when you sit down to play a game like this you know yeah um but as people who i'm like coming this down stuff, there and playing this with you like just straight up, we are. Please, 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 please do. That um, sounds so fun. It's really fun. It's really interesting. There's a great moment early on where you has part of the rules. You have to, um, if you are the investigator, you have to kind of calibrate your tools by asking the person their name and then asking them to do whatever the penalty is. Um, and so one of our first ones was one of our first penalties was repeat the question. Um, and so my investigator was just like. Um, can you perform the penalty for me? And I was like, yeah, what's the penalty? And they were like, can you perform the penalty for me? And I go, can I perform the penalty for me? Or can you perform the penalty for me? And they repeated it like three times. And it was this very like surreal How's that not just give the game moment. up right away? Well, because it's before, right away, you have to just, it's before the clock has yeah. started. Anytime, it's the subterfuge thing again, right? The clock starts and that is when the rules have a, begin, begin to apply. You know, um, also sometimes you just do the thing, even if you're a human, you do the penalty. Uh, and as the investigator, you're like, shit, was that just, did that person just say their character's last name because mm. they just said it? Um, or the other thing that happens is sometimes you'll get one of those things. Like I got the thing that was like, you have to refer to strangers, uh, or you have to refer to other characters as strangers or enemies. And in, I could have just been like, I never talk about another person when someone says right. like, I was playing as a former investigator, and someone was like, well, why are you a former investigator? I could have just said, I got sick of the job and decided I wanted a quieter life. But instead, I was like, ugh, the old chief was an asshole. <laughs> you know? Like, I wanted to immediately... It encouraged me to play that way, which is bad for me. I got caught. I ended up being caught as a robot. So, anyway, that is... that is Yeah, Rob, Rob, you are you have a look on your no, face. No, like, really I almost don't this. want the game to stop at the resolution fit. You know what I mean? Like, I, I almost want that to break yeah, out totally. into yeah. it. And now the RPG begins. Congratulations on totally, character dude. creation. Let's roll. Uh-huh. I, I promise you, I actually have already started to think about ways to tell stories with this as one part of a broader like vignette series. Um, I, I'll, I'll explain all that off mic because that could be a thing that I do with, in, with friends at the table down the road and I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> but it's a really, really great um, premise and the rules are really fun. And the, the, the ways that you sit down and try to get into the heads of these very light characters. Like it's not, you're not writing a whole big thing. You know what I mean? You're just, and it's five minutes. Each round is five minutes, which is the perfect amount of time for something like this. So again, that is called in human conditions. You can download the rules right now, uh, over on robots.management. Good. The good great name. URL. Great URL. <laughs> All right. I think that should probably wrap us up. We have some good questions here, but we are going to have to punt on those. We should do a big question bucket episode and do some catch up, some question catch up. Sound good? We should. Sometime we'll soon. Uh, awesome. I'm Austin Walker. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Danielle? At Danielle R.I. How about you, Natalie? At Natalie Watson. Rob Zachney. At Rob Zachney. 
Find everything we do here at Waypoint, twitter.com slash Waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice. Uh, and as always, uh, waypoint.vice.com. Um, shout out to Kado for doing the production. You can find Kado at A underscore Kado underscore appears over on Twitter. And shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You of the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that, waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. As always, if you have questions, you can send those over to gamingadvice.com, the subject question, and that'll go into our question catch-up episode sometime in the near future. <laughs> uh, until next time, Danielle, what do we say to him? Be good and be good at it. And also, you should go vote tomorrow. I, I, I do my best not to harangue people because I think there's a lot of people who have been disenfranchised or, or otherwise uh, disabused of the notion that voting matters for them. And I'm, I, I want to leave space for a lot of perspectives here but i personally think it would be a really good thing if y'all got out there and voted tomorrow uh it is if you're in the do states if you especially if you can please do it uh let's take the steps i don't think it's a perfect system i don't think that it is uh the ideal or and i certainly don't think it's the only way to create political change um but i do think that it is one of the many many tools in our toolbox so please as danielle said be good and be good at it and in this case the it is voting go be good at voting uh <laughs> until then until next time peace Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.